I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast is recorded on Noongar land. We'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land and extend that respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and their elders who are listening today. We respect their spiritual relationship with their country. Have you ever wondered exactly what it is that that married man found so appealing about paying for it? Or watched the murder doco and thought, how can that monster's mother still love him? Welcome to To Be Frank, the show that invites you to step inside the world of Constance Hall as she explores the most interesting topics and people from all over the world with no BS, no filter. Now your host, Constance Hall, and co-host, Claudia McLeod. Hello and welcome to another episode of To Be Frank. We have such a gorgeous episode today. I really wanted to make this podcast not just about me and Claude and bring in some everyday people with extraordinary stories. And so I did a shout out on my Instagram, just chatting to different people, different queens who are now Frankies about their stories. And one woman, I actually didn't realize I was going to fall in love with her, but she messaged us and she told us some really intense things that happened in her childhood. I think that this story is is pretty extraordinary. I also think it's really fascinating to hear what people live through, what people overcome, and what people are like holding on to that that they might not tell many people. I think it's fascinating. Sharon's an incredible woman. She doesn't open up to too many people about her story, and I dare you not to fall in love with her like we did. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Hi, Sharon. Thank you so much for joining us for an episode of To Be Frank. I'm intrigued and I'm excited to hear everything that you have told me in our emails, which is super fascinating and really quite traumatic. And you just come across as such a normal person. So <laughs> I'm really intrigued by your story. Do you want to start by like letting us know who you are and where you're from? My name's Sharon and I grew up in a city in northeast Victoria. When I was two, we moved to Queensland and lived in a caravan and travelled around for six years, then moved back down to Victoria. And that's where I grew up. Right. So you're a Victorian. Yep. Through and through. When you say we, how many siblings did you have? Six. But when I'm second eldest, so when we moved to Queensland, it was my older brother and my younger brother. And then whilst we're up there, my mum um, gave birth to my sister. I guess that um, things took a turn and the reason that we've got you on the podcast before this traumatic event happened, were you happy? Did you have a good childhood, would you say? Yes, I did love my family and we did have a happy childhood. Oh, I suppose that's the sad part. I never hated my father until this happened. I knew that he wasn't a good person, but after the event happened, I didn't see him for two years all my siblings, but then I did reconnect with him. We 
formed our relationship again. Still your dad, right? Yes. And I just didn't want to hang on to all of that stuff. I guess we should tell the listeners what the event happened. Would you call your, your father an abusive guy or? Oh, yes, definitely. He definitely, he, he was one of four boys. And I remember my mum saying to me one night that you can't blame him for what he does because she saw his dad belt him with barbed wire. Right. Isn't that so fascinating when the victim becomes the perpetrator? Yes, it was a cycle. Start from the beginning, Sharon. We need to know. I'll start from my beginning, from what I remember. So I remember growing up knowing something was wrong, but not being able to define what it was. My earliest memory that I can remember of something happening was I would have been about four and I remember my dad went to jail. I think they only held him overnight. I remember my mum and my older brother, who was two years older than me, telling me that it was only tomato sauce all over the house, not blood. And when Dad came home, I wasn't allowed to ask him how jail was. And, of course, being four, as soon as he walked in the door, I ran over to him. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, Dad, Dad. I was jail. (laughs) Tell us all about it. So uh, I don't think Mum was very happy about that. You weren't scared of him then? I was scared of him, Con, but it's a very fascinating story in itself on how I used to, when he abused my mother, stand in front of him so he couldn't get to her to protect her. And you probably knew when safe times were as well, right? Like there was times where... There was never a safe time, Cordia, never. There was no stopping him. There was just no stopping him. He, When they fought, which was always when he was drunk, and she'd probably had a few, but she didn't drink as much as him. It didn't stop until one of them was down, basically, and it was yeah. always oh. her. Yeah, always her. I tell people, and they don't believe me, the abuse was so horrific and so ongoing that people can't comprehend it in their head. People around us knew, but in those days, you just didn't interfere. Like, they would prefer not to damage the man's reputation and let the woman take the blame. And he was very good at what happens in a family home stays there type, yeah. Yes. And feel sorry for him because he's got six kids, yeah. Oh, God, I've heard that one. When you say that they would argue and he would always win, did you witness anything that you would have classified as, like, reactional abuse, like her getting really mad as well, or was she more of a, say, battered woman? It was a bit of both. There were times that she retaliated because he just would not stop, and there were times when she would just um, crack and try and – but, I mean – he was very strong. He was he was a farmhand and a labourer. So he was, and I, my father never missed a day of work in his whole life. He just went, went, went. It didn't matter how how drunk he got the night before. He still got up at five o'clock in the morning and went to do the cows and all that sort of stuff. He never stopped. He was a machine. So she really never had any hope against him, and he would not stop until she could not get up. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there's just a fire burning, isn't there? And you can't yes. allow someone to talk to you or do those things. Yep. And you have to, knowing that it's going to make them worse, you have to say your piece. She did. Yes, she did retaliate. How old were you, Sharon, when your mum sadly passed away? I was 12. 12. And can you um, remember that night? Yes. Is it something you talk about often? Oh, no, no. No, no, it would only be very close personal friends that maybe about five or six people actually know all the details. 
it's not something that you talk about. I've had people hold it against me before because I grew up in foster care. They oh, think you're lying. Yeah. So you're four and he came out of jail. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happened? And then, oh, well, I suppose mum, my younger brother was just a baby at that stage. So he was, I don't know, still in nappies. I was still in nappies. But I should have been out of nappies. I went to bed until I was 13 because I was just so traumatised by the whole thing. We lived in Queensland at that stage and we moved back to Victoria when I was eight and then mum had another two children. That's when things really escalated. With your dad? Like are they all from the same? My oldest brother wasn't from my dad. Then all of you were with your dad? Yeah. So we moved back to Victoria when I was eight and lived on farms. And dad was like a farmhand and um, we were around my uncles and their families. But your dad's side or mum's side? Dad's side. After the night in jail, did the abuse get worse? I mean, you were only four and that's sort of your first memory. But you knew there was something not right about him. That was the first time that I realised that something wasn't right. But yes, the abuse continued. There was a couple of times when mum did take an overdose. There was one time when we, because we lived in a caravan, a big, big caravan, and it was only us three children in Queensland. And I remember that mum took an overdose to get away from him. I remember him physically abusing my brothers and I, but I don't really remember him at that stage physically abusing mum so much. I don't know whether it was because I was younger and I maybe just have forgotten. The real memories start when I turned eight, I think. At anything under eight, I remember loving him and he was my dad and I was dad's girl. Wow. Did he treat you differently to your brothers? Not really. He still hurt me. But I don't know why, but my dad was always scared of me. That I don't remember him being scared of me when I was that young, but as I, after eight, I definitely remember him being scared of me. Wow. I wonder if that's because he knew that you could see yes, it things for what they was. were. It definitely was. I think he knew that I was quite smart and I wasn't going to let him just get away with That's why I always stayed with mum and the boys would run to the neighbours and get the police. But I don't ever remember him spending another night in jail time. I never remember. Of all the times, the and this would happen on a weekly occurrence, I do not remember him ever going back to jail. I remember the police coming and taking Dad outside to calm him down. How fucked up is that? I remember the neighbours coming and taking him outside to calm him down. And then Mum would go to bed and he'd go to bed and, yeah, and then we'd all get up the next morning. And then it'd yeah, start up again. Take me to the night that obviously everything changed for you and I guess your life and your siblings' lives were divided into before and after. The night that it happened, I remember Dad coming home from the pub, which was a nightly occurrence. He'd go there on his way home from work. We were having dinner and he came in and I think he said, where's my dinner or something? And they started arguing because mum was probably angry at him because he's gone to the pub instead of coming home. And we weren't very wealthy. She didn't work. So money was tight and he was spending all his money drinking, of course. It was on and it went for hours, like literally hours because we were sitting down for dinner. And then I remember it was like dark. I think it was September or October, around that time. It wasn't dark, dark outside. But I remember going to bed and it was dark, dark. So I thought, oh, it's late at night. Like I wasn't really telling the time or anything at that stage. It's not like today. So what happened was they started fighting. 
he would have punched her a number of times and she probably fought back. She would have been crying or she was crying. She went outside to get away from him. I always hovered around her to, you know, try and console her, try and get him away from her. I remember her being outside on the veranda and he grabbed her by the hair and dragged her back inside and he dragged her and she was fighting him all the way that he pulled clumps of hair out of her head and it was in his hands and I'm just looking at that going, oh my God, oh my God, you know, that must be so painful. She got up and she went back inside. They were still fighting. He punched her in the mouth here and split her lip, her denture, because she had dentures, all the way through and into her gum. And there was, at this stage, the the kitchen table had been turned over. There was blood everywhere over the kitchen. He was had her on the ground. He was kicking her. And he had steel-cap boots. Like, this wasn't just with your feet and a bit mm, of a kick. Oh, this was full-on kicking. Mm. And um, I remember, like, just the face swelling, the head swelling where her hair had been pulled out and bleeding. She was sliding around on the floor. There was that much blood. Mm. And I remember her getting up and he must have turned his back or something or whatever. And she went to the bathroom and she was trying to rinse out her mouth. And then the next thing I remember her going outside and getting her antidepressants, which I believe that they were, and she took some. And then we went inside and she said to me, tell dad that I took the antidepressants. And I said, dad, 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 she's taken these antidepressants. We've got to call an ambulance. And this was her way of escaping because she knew that he would call an ambulance. Yes, she had to get out any way that she could. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's not going to call an ambulance if it's about his beating. She was obviously very clever to know that he will only call an ambulance. Yeah. He went into the lounge room, ripped the phone out of the wall. He said, you little bastards aren't going to call an ambulance. And then he slept in there and... We tried to clean her up, put her nightie on, and she was starting to slur her words. And I was banging on the door in the lounge room. He barred it with something. I don't know if he pushed the couch up against it. And we couldn't get in there. And I'm saying to the boys, you need to go and get the neighbours. You need to go and get... She did take these tablets. They were too scared to go and get the neighbours. They thought that she would just go to bed. They said, Dad's asleep. Dad's She'll asleep. be okay. Or, yeah. She'll be okay. Yeah. Dad's asleep now. Dad's asleep now. Just let her go to bed. She'll wake up. Everything will be fine. Next morning after we put her to bed and my youngest brother, who was only one and a half, slept in a cot next to the bed. Dad came in and he woke us up. I was sleeping with my brothers. I slept with my older brother a lot because I was so scared at night. He came in and he said, Johnny, that was my older brother's name, who do I call first? Your mother's dead. That was how he told us, just like that. Oh, my God. Yep. Who do I call first? Your mother's dead. Yep. My my brother, I was... Twelve, like my brother would have been fourteen. So, how old were you all at that stage? Like, how old was my younger your brother? Would have been fourteen. Yeah, my youngest brother was one and a half. My next brother was three. My sister was six. Robert would have been oh, maybe ten. I was twelve when she died. So, yeah, I was turning thirteen in the January. So, yeah. 14. He was two years older. Yeah, he was two years older than me. And so while these beatings were happening, were you children, I can really appreciate that your memory might be blocked from certain things, but would you guys be screaming or would you be sort of hiding and trying to keep the other ones quiet? Oh, no, we would be screaming for him to stop. Yeah, I would be screaming for him to stop. I would stand in front of her, Connie, so she would 
he would stop and I would try and physically stop him and say, leave mum alone, leave mum alone. The boys, my two brothers, would run to the neighbours. And what about your older brother? He was scared shitless of him. He belted my brother with the dog chain. Yep. He was, my brother was tall. He was big, my brother, because it wasn't dad's son. Mum had him when she married Mm. dad. My brother was big, like he was built. And he could have taken my dad down, but the rage in my father's face just scared him. He was a gentle giant. He was a oh, giant. I bet you, you know, if this hadn't have happened, there would have come a time where he would have flipped and turned on him. He never did. No, he was scared. He was so scared of him. Sharon, is this brother passed now? Yes, yeah, he has passed. Yeah, he passed when he was 18. And were you and him close? It sounded very sweet that you used to share a bed with him. Very, very. And I mm. went to bed too, and he still let me sleep with him. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> gorgeous. Him. Yeah, he, he was beautiful. Yeah. He was beautiful, yeah. But there was another time, like, it, that wasn't the only night. Like, there was another time, I'll just tell you this a bit, and this is another night that I distinctly remember. She was sitting in front of the fireplace on a chair eating her dinner, and he came in from outside, grabbed the handle on the chair, pulled her down onto the floor, with his steel cap boots on, he stamped on her face 10 times. I remember counting. Her nose and her whole face crushed in. She had blood spurting up in a fountain from her nose. Her eye was out of its socket. And we were just screaming. And the boys ran straight across the road and called an ambulance. And we were an hour out of town. And the ambulance came. I don't know. She spent days and days in hospital. Days in hospital. When and no home, alarm bells were rung. Nothing. Then when she came home. What year was would this have been? That one would have been when I was in grade three or four. What decade? Just to give me some sort of an idea about. You look so, like, you look so good, Sharon. It's hard to guess. No. What's your age? What's your the age? 70s. What era was it? I'm 54, so it was. I was born in 69, so it would have been, yeah, 70s. Wow. Maybe. So in. Late 70s. Hey, this is a really interesting and um, relevant to what we're talking about. Fact: My husband works, he's a social worker and very experienced and works with a lot of domestic violence victims and things like that. And he did some sort of training thing last year and came home and said, this will blow your mind, but he said, honestly, the most at-risk time for DB is when men come home from work and it's dinner time. Yes, mm. yep. yes, that's the only time I ever remember them fighting. Yeah, it's making me think back to that. There was a culture back then when men went to the pub before they came home from work. Right. They all used to meet. But at even the pub. now, even if they don't go to the pub, they still come home. They've got kids there. Everyone's cranky. It's that high stress time and they yeah. want shit done. And- I used to hate living with a working man. I hated it because they yeah. come home and everything just goes from being fun to just being everyone hop out of the way, you know, because he might be in a bad mood. I've had a full-on day at work and blah, blah, blah. I was going to ask you before, and that's kind of relevant to this, but what would trigger him? Do you, I mean, you were quite young, so I'm sure you didn't fully, you know, ever, ever pry into it. But do you feel like it was just sort of like, I've had a fucked day and you're to blame? No, I just think that he would come home and he'd be tired and she'd probably say something and it might set him off or she would ask about money maybe. It could be anything. Yeah, but he, you could just see his face, yep. his, whole, see the look. his eyes would change, the look. Can I ask what her name was just so that I'm not calling her she? Lynette. So do you think there was ever a time when Lynette was in love with your dad? Oh, she did love him. Yes, she did. She did love him, yeah. She tried to leave him numerous times, and the last time I can remember that she left was 
I think I was in year seven. I just started high school because I was in year seven when she died. So I was 12. So I went to high school younger because we'd been in Queensland and then come back. So my schooling was a bit funny. It's a weird state, right? Yeah, the great, the grades and the changes in age and stuff like that. And because I'm born in January, yeah, it's different. So I'm pretty sure I started high school when I was 12. She left him. We had a house, a housing department house, and we were all happy. One night, someone came to the house and my older brother was sleeping at his friend's and it was just mum and I and she'd had to put the two younger kids in foster care because she couldn't afford to look after them. But they came and stayed with us every weekend. That broke her heart that she had to do that. And then someone tried to came to the house and tried to break into the house. I remember the door handle turning and they were throwing stones on the roof and the neighbour wasn't home because we didn't have a phone then. The neighbour wasn't home. So when she came home, Mum went out and said, oh, can you watch the kids? I'm going to go down to the phone box. And she called the police and the police came around and all the wire screens had come off the windows. So this person had tried to get in through all the windows as well. And then a couple of days later, my dad turns up on the doorstep and says, oh, someone tried to break into my house too. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so then they... So um, it was him. Well, it was definitely him. So he'd found yeah. her. Mm. Yes because she hadn't invited him over. It was all well and good. And then apparently they'd had a talk and he came in and he said to us, we're in the bedroom, and he said, your mum and I are going to get back together. What did you kids think? And I could not shut up. Oh, really? I sat up and I just said, no. And he said, shut your mouth, you little bitch. (laughs) I love you, Sharon. Oh, wow. And, And then they got back together. But I remember after he left that night, he didn't stay at the house, me and my brothers, my two older brothers, sitting in the room, or my younger brother and my older brother, because I was the middle one, sitting in the room saying, she'll be dead in six months. If she goes back to him, she's, he's going to kill her. Like, that's how bad the violence was. And she was. And she was. Mm. Yep, yeah. she was. Yep, she was Ingenious. dead by the September. Wow. And so the morning after, let's go back to the morning after, because this is a part of your story that I think, you, you know, where the entire story you were let down so much. But fast forward, and your dad, you know, to explain her death, what does he – he sort of rewrites the night, doesn't he? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. I remember when he came in and said, your mother's dead, what do I, who do I call first? My brother said, call Uncle Robbie. That was my dad's brother. So dad called him and he said, well, you've got to call the police and you've got to call the coroner and whatever. And they came, but they weren't there because they lived about an hour away. So dad called the police and that. Um, and – before they arrived at the house, he said to us that we had to tell the police that she had gotten drunk and we cleaned all the blood up. We cleaned all the kitchen up except the glass. He asked you to? Yes, we had to do it all. Question. What did he, yeah. Yeah, he never did anything. And he kept the glass where it was. There was one of those beer glasses with a big handle. I think he'd smashed that over her head mm-hmm. at some stage during the night. And, yeah, that was on the floor and also big bottle of wine or something and so we had to leave all the glass there but clean the blood up and he had said to us to tell the police that she had gotten drunk took the sleeping tablets fell hit her head on the table and then fell onto this glass bottle and then that would explain how she'd done all this and the where her hair had been coming out because he'd pulled it so bad She's lying there with patches of hair coming yeah, out of her head and her dentures well, are broken. Right? Like there would have been so many yeah. signs of that she's been beaten oh, to a point. How does I he explain the hair coming out? Well, he said that's where she hit her head on the table. That doesn't pull out hair. 
No, no. So here, do you think the police knew and just couldn't be bothered or didn't like want to open the doors of domestic violence issues? Yes. Oh, definitely, definitely. Because I remember them being there and I remember my younger brother, who was one and a half, could barely speak, was running around saying, Daddy killed mummy, Daddy killed mummy. And we oh. had to make, take him oh. outside. We had to this, – this child was angelic looking. He was angelic. He had beautiful big blue eyes, thick black lashes, beautiful white hair, and he was chubby and tanned, and he was running around in a nappy saying, Daddy killed mummy, Daddy killed mummy. Yeah. And we had to take him out. Oh, my God. hallucinating. They would have heard, yes. And my aunt and uncle were there. They took us kids down the back, and we were telling them what had happened. And nobody – So you told them the truth? Yeah, we told them the truth, yes. But they, no, they, they didn't want, no one wanted to know. With my dad's brother. Yeah, of course, yeah, of yeah. course. So what happened next? Like you guys obviously stay in the care of your dad? Yes, yes. We stayed in the house. He took the mattress out the back and burnt it. Oh. It was uh, horrific. I only stayed for six months. He then expected me to take on all the care of the whole family. Yeah, and then be the new, yeah. Yes. And he was abusing us if we didn't do all the jobs and everything. He wasn't coming home till 9 or 10 o'clock at night from the pub. So he would physically, like, hit all of you? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, God, yes, yes. Things he would do, Claudia, would just, he would choke us. He would belt us. Yep. Belt oh, my, my God. Belt my brother until his legs bled and my brother couldn't get out of bed for three days. Oh, sure. My brother would go to school with legs that were bleeding and none of the teachers How would say the school, anything. No one, none of the teachers, yeah. like. Not even like a school. No one pulled you aside to say you lost your mum no, during a talk. No. Oh, I had counselling at school. They saw signs of it and they didn't do anything. Yeah, no, I had counselling at school after mum had passed, but not beforehand. But I'm sure his teachers would have known because we always had a lot of time off school when we were damaged or physically injured, I should say, by him. Yeah, there were times when I'd stand in front of mum. I remember one time I had a knife and I said to him, because he had a knife, if you stab mum, I'm going to stab you. And he took me in the bedroom and he got the jug, the jug cord, the, the old Burko jug, and he belted me with that to the point where and I then couldn't get out of bed to go and, yeah. So we had, we, I had, yeah. had a we lot of time off yeah. school. I'm trying to join the dots as to how you came from this and then ended up as this, like, incredibly beautiful, strong, not damaged person that, you know, it, it looking, it sounding, appearing person that we see. We're only in his care for another six months. Is that when you left? Yes, and I left because, like I said, he was increasingly coming home later and drunker and expecting me to cook a meal. And I'd only ever helped mum before. I didn't know how to cook him a meal. Mm. I didn't know that you had to get meat out of the freezer in the morning. Yes, exactly. And I remember him saying to me one night, if you don't do the dishes or do something he wanted me to do, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to shoot you. And he had guns and he'd shot at mum before. And I was so scared. I went to school and I told my school principal and I sat in her office after school and I remember my brother coming up to me because we were at the same school and him saying to me, are you coming home tonight? And I said, no, I'm going to go and tell the principal and I'm not coming home. And he said, okay, I'll take care of it. Meaning that then he would take a beating from dad because I didn't come home. Yeah. Oh. So I told my school principal. And that's what happened. Where did you go from there? I went into foster care and I was in foster care then until but I turned 18. But how did you know where to go or like I didn't. did you, I you didn't, planned I just, it? It was no. like an escape, right? Yeah, it was just it was, the principal. Yeah, it was just that morning. I so just, she said, okay, we'll, yeah. we'll go here. 
I was just that morning I just decided I wasn't going to go back home after school because I was literally so scared that he would kill me because I'd seen him do it to mum. And he still didn't get charged. Nobody did, any, nobody did anything. What happened to the other kids? Well, my older brother stayed with dad and my two youngest siblings were, like I said, just babies. They weren't in school yet. So they went into foster care with a lovely lady who was Italian and she looked after oh, them until God. they were till, until they were school age, but they still went back to dad's on the weekends. She only had them during the week. My sister was deaf, so she went to special deaf school in Melbourne, but then when mum passed, dad put her in mainstream school. She wasn't there on the weekends either, so it was really only my older brother and my younger brother, Robert, that were in dad's care. Yeah, and things didn't get better. I'm pretty sure he beat them on a regular basis, yeah. Did you create any kind of a relationship with your dad after you left? Yes. I didn't go home for two years, so I didn't see the kids for two years. I think my case manager, I should say, when I was in foster care, set up that without telling dad that I could go and see the younger kids when they were in foster care during the week. But I didn't see my sister and my two brothers. I saw my older brother at school, so I didn't see my or maybe by this stage I would have been in year eight. I don't know if he would have been in grade six or year seven. So, I, yeah, I didn't see them for two years. I know that. And then she set up, I could see the younger kids, but I couldn't see my sister and brother. So they lived out of town at that stage. Did you miss them? Oh, God, yeah. And I had like almost like survivor's guilt that I got out and they were still yeah, there. Yeah, you're yeah. out and they're still there. I even struggled to to like move to Melbourne when my mum's kids were like toddlers and it wasn't that I was leaving anything behind. I just felt bad for leaving them so I can completely imagine. I mean, I got survivor's guilt when my dad died for fuck's sakes. Like it's just so strong, isn't it, survivor's guilt? It affects everybody. So the two brothers that were left with him, do you know like how things ended up for him and then your dad as well? Well, my older brother he passed at 18, so he was only with Dad for another few years. But I know... How did he die? He died in a swimming accident. Um, he dove into a river and hit a cement post and snapped his spine. I was, oh, my oh. goodness. And he was the one you were so close with. Yes, that was only a couple of years after Mum died. Yeah, so he, I, was, oh, I was... Oh, my goodness. I was 16 when he died, and then I think I was... 21 when dad died and then I was 26 or 27 when my youngest brother died and I was pregnant at the time. How did he die? He died in a mining accident in Lightning Ridge. Um, A mine collapsed on him and he was only 16. So, yeah, he was only very young. Oh, Sharon. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Did you ever feel like, why the fuck us? Like, it, it wasn't as if when you told me that um, two of your brothers had passed, mm. I don't want to sound insensitive, but I thought to myself, could that have been either overdose or like yeah, I thought suicide the same thing. after the trauma? No, no. But it seems like accident. everything was just these really random. Yeah, it was just yeah. All, yeah. I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, yeah. they probably had, you know, such trauma and mental. Yeah. If only your dad had could have known when you were young and you were this feisty little bitch that you'd be the last one standing. Yeah. You know? 
<laughs> he would have been like, this one, this one really is well, trouble. I think, I think he probably did know, right? Like that's why he was like, yeah. I don't yeah. I'm the oldest surviving member of my family and I think that happened when I was like years oh, ago. Oh, wow. Because he wasn't, mum was only 32 or something when she died and I think he was oh, only she... in his late 40s, yeah. So how did you, your dad die? He died of cancer, alcoholism-related diseases. And so you never really saw him after, you went back and saw them after two years? I did see Dad, yes. I did see Dad. It took a lot for me to go back, but I went with my foster care case manager. She said she'd be with me the whole time and it would all be fine. And then I'd go back and see them every Christmas, but I'd go and see them a couple of times a year and take presents and stuff. Yeah, he was there, but she said to me, he won't speak to you and she'd have to set it up with him and all that sort of stuff. But eventually we got to the stage where we started talking again. And then he moved away to Lightning Ridge and took my sister and my two brothers, the three younger ones, because it was like there were three younger ones and then us three older ones. So it was sort of a little bit of separate. So they were all really close and I was closer. So my younger brother, the one that's closer to me in age on the younger side, has got severe mental health issues. And he really struggled with all those issues from growing up seeing dad like that. Um, he's never lived a normal life. I don't have anything to do with him now because he's just so damaged. I've tried to help him all his life. He's stolen from me. It's too much. He's done some really weird, odd shit that my brother won't have anything to do with him and my other sister won't have anything to do with him. So, yeah, he takes a lot of drugs and stuff like that. So he's really, yeah, I feel bad for him. But I don't know why, but, yeah, Dad was always scared of me, like I said, and when he took the kids to Lightning Ridge, I went up there once to visit with my younger brother and I remember being outside and Stephen, my next younger brother, was mucking around and he did something and they were play fighting, I think, and Dad got hurt, not hurt as in a bad way, but probably got a shock and he did that thing with, that he did with mum and just the change. And he went to pick up the garden hose to belt Stephen with her. And I remember standing up saying, do not hit him with that. He is a child. You're an adult. And he sort of just went like that. And he, and the flip switched back. Like the switch flipped back. Mm, you had such control over him. And Amazing. It was unbelievable. It was like, yeah. yeah. And there were, yeah. there were a couple of times when he was hitting mum. That, and that's why I always did it because there were the times that he would stop like that flick switch. Yeah, the switch would flick and he would go, oh, yeah, so okay. Would, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I know yeah. because I've, you know, I've seen people like that and I've seen other people wondering, is this the time that I could control this mood? And, you know, it's almost like you just don't know what's going to happen until it, it happens. Yeah, it can go either way. What were your foster parents like? I had a lot of foster parents because I was a very troubled child after coming out of all of this situation, as you could imagine. Yeah, of course. So I probably only ever stayed with, I think I had about 10 different lots of foster parents. Some were good, some were bad. So you were how old? Um, 13, 14? I was 13 in foster in, 13? care. I had my 13th birthday in foster care. My first foster family were lovely, but they got divorced. So then I had to move on. At first, I went into emergency housing with a lady just for a couple of, you know, nights a week. And then I went to, into a um, home, like a group home. That didn't work out. So I was put in um, foster care with this lovely family and they got divorced. So I ended up having to leave. And then I went to a few other families and then I ended up with another lovely family. 
and I chose to leave that scenario because I was having issues with the daughter who was well within her rights, like that's her family and I'm a stranger, I've come in. She wasn't the oldest daughter anymore and she was having, um, you know, and she was only young. She was only like in grade four. It's really complicated, all the dynamics. and It is and, you know, you, you can't blame them. But I was old enough to realise that she was struggling and it wasn't my family, it was her family and I didn't want to damage that. But I'm still in contact with those people, beautiful family, lovely family. Then um, I went to another family and that was, they were a bit weird. They had two sons and they were lovely, but they were a bit weird. The only people I felt really, really comfortable with were the family that I fed with the daughter and I'm still friends with them today. Did they ever ask you where you came from? Oh, yeah, they knew. I had spoken to all my foster parents about it. Yeah, they have to have a background of... Yeah, they'd have to know. They would have known before I went there. But also, yes, I, I did tell a lot of them my story, especially the mums. You know, they all had children. I wasn't their only child, but I was always the oldest child in all the families that I went to. I was already always close oh, to all of the children and stuff like that. It was like they were my brothers and sisters as well. I had good times with all of them, but also there was bad times, you know, but probably more because of me and my behaviour. But also sometimes, you know, when you come from that, environment they judge you a little bit they don't really know how to handle somebody with my issues but I was very damaged I would keep them awake at night I'd call out to them and say I'm scared and they'd have to get up even though they had like a couple of them had young babies and weren't getting any sleep from the babies and then I'd be waking them up your needs were so high yeah yeah I had high needs yeah I mean you know 13 my daughter's 14 it's so young most foster kids are like that they've been through something that's why they're in that situation it's a yeah it's not a walk in the park especially yeah interesting that you were always placed with lots of kids as well the last foster parents I had had two sons I was 17 at this stage and of course you know you want to go out with your friends and do this and do that and and then as soon as I turned 18, they kicked me out because they said, oh, we can't understand why you're treating this family, you know, going out all the time and blah, 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 blah. But I was 18. so Well, that's what you need out. to expect from teenagers, yeah. yeah. And I often tell people that try and embark on step parenting, I'm like, oh. you know, when they're not your children, you can tend to only see the negative shit they're doing. Yeah. But, like, you have to understand that if that was my kids, they would be doing it and abusing me at the same time because <laughs> that's just what kids do, you so know? True. First of all, I want to know how this affected your, like, ability to have relationships. And how are you so normal? Not project it onto your kids as well. I don't think it ever really has. Well, I probably did project it a little bit when they were younger. I don't think it really affected my relationship. I've I always had long-term relationships when I was younger. My first boyfriend I was with for two years and we were engaged. I only remember looking back now not being able to communicate very well with him emotionally. But further, we got into the relationship feeling that it got better over time. I always seemed to have issues with the parents because I always felt like the parents didn't want to let their sons go because I was so independent, I think, and didn't, didn't grow up with real parents. And then to have a partner who was probably over-parented, I didn't like that. Well, it's kind of if you don't feel like you've got re- your representation. Yeah, you didn't you know, have like, that. Yeah, if they're going, well, my mum says it's not fair. That's not a fair playing ground. Yes, no, so you weren't no. even. No, and, yeah, mm, and then the, the mums would then try and turn the sons against me because I wanted to have a voice in the relationship mm. and they were used to controlling their boys. 
And anyway, but look, as time as went evil, on, evil mothers of sons. There is. As time went on, I, I got better at communicating. You know, like I had a good time when I was young. I had lots of boyfriends and I got out mm, there and good. partied a bit. Right. I was a hairdresser like you, Con, in a former life. Oh. So, yeah. But, um, so was Claudia. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why your hair looks so fabulous. Oh, thank you. Are you married now? Yeah, I was married for 10 years to my ex-husband. Should we, should we just call them father of children? That's what we call our exes, the yep. father of children. Yep, father <laughs> of children. <laughs> and then you don't have to girls. say their name. It's good. Yeah, no. I've got two girls who are 25 and 22. They still both live here with me, but I've, I was single for six years and going through perimenopause and now postmenopausal. So I didn't have a relationship for six that years. Sounds I thought fun. I never, <laughs> ever would have another relationship. But then I Don't met, talk oh, about, Sharon, do not start talking about a dry vagina because I'm, Otherwise, I'll have to tap out. And <laughs> we're scared of dry vaginas. <laughs> so did you get, you get a dry vagina? I'm like, I don't want to know. Did you lose your sex drive? Is that why you were single or is, was you, you just didn't want to be with anyone? Yes. The, yes I to both? I kept saying to my friends, I've, <laughs> I've got a sad vagina. <laughs> <laughs> It's emotional. It's a little emotional. (laughs) You need to you need to accept this, Claude. This is our future. (laughs) What's your second husband like or partner? Oh, he's beautiful. We've been together for nearly two years now. So yeah, he's lovely. He's got five children and How'd you meet him? On the internet. Never thought it would happen, but it did. Oh, lovely. So which app can you recommend one? Because we've got lots of single women out there. Plenty of fish, I think. Yeah. Plenty of fish, yeah. I've heard that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. and are your two daughters gorgeous? Oh, yes, they're lovely. They're really good kids. I've brought up, like, everybody loves my kids. They're just really nice kids, yeah. Oh, Oh, how wonderful. You've got some good That's amazing. I've had a happy ending. Yeah, and the life that you're giving the kids is sort of the life that you didn't get as a child. Definitely, definitely, yes. I've sacrificed a lot in my lifetime to give the kids, but I've always said to the kids, what you have doesn't make the person that you are. Like you are a person, it's not about what you've got. We didn't even have Wi-Fi in our house until my kids were like sixteen or seventeen. So yeah, I but just that's a good yeah, yeah wow yeah 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 keep them dumb for as long as you can. Mm. Yeah, how fascinating. So are you someone now who, like, as an adult, in retrospect and hindsight, do you? Or when you were raising your kids, do you listen to other kids or do you look out for things that you think might be getting uh, ignored or have you always just been very much like, I'm just dealing with myself here, I am not on a crusade to fix other people? Oh, no, I'm always on a crusade, whether it's the girl's friends oh, or you? my oh, fantastic. friends. You can tell. Yeah. You're, you're, a, you're a finer, yeah. Sharon. You're, you're, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember once in Melbourne this man pulled his car over and threw his girlfriend out and I was walking. It was late at night with my girlfriend. We were just going for a walk. I would have been, oh, I don't know, maybe 20. And uh, straight away I ran over to her and said, are you okay? And my girlfriend's gone, what is he doing? What if her boyfriend comes back and he's got a knife? Yeah, and I just, I don't care. I'll tell him where to go. Oh, fantastic. That's exactly what we need. I've always had that fight. Yeah. Yes. yes I, was, I, yeah. I would never cower in a hole. I'd be the one to get out there and go and have a look, see if, you know, what's going on. I think it's really like heartbreaking because often when somebody passes away, a parent of young children especially, I always feel really bad for all the things that that parent's going to miss out on. They don't get to see, you know, the babies grow up and this and the kids get married. But then I feel like with your family, everything really disintegrated. It's almost like she was holding it together just sort of barely and there was just left with too much pain that you all kind of had to do your thing. So young to die as well. Oh, God, yes, yes. 
Did you ever have a conversation with your dad about like? No, no, no. I mean, and how do you get over the fact that he was never, you know, convicted or punished or just got away with it, you know? Like yes, no yes. one ever confronted him. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did say once yeah. that he w- he felt bad for what had happened, but I didn't acknowledge him saying that. I think he said it so I could hear, but not to me directly. And you were like, too little, too late. I never discussed it with him afterwards, but I just felt like I had to to move forward. I had to let go of that. But I will tell you that when he died, I was absolutely hysterical and broke down on my foster father wow. and cried hysterically. I was too young when mum died to really grieve that. I didn't really understand. Do you know what I mean? You were still in fight mode. You were still surviving. Yeah, yeah, I was in survival mode. And you were grieving that whole time for your mum, probably? Yeah, and then when he died, I think it was a release, A, that he was dead and he couldn't hurt any of us anymore, but also to the fact then that I could never tell anybody that I've got parents. That was a big factor. Like, I hated people asking me, what do your parents do? Where are your parents? Like, and I had to say my mother died. And then they would say, oh, how did she die? And then have you explain that? Mm, there's a that. shame there where you just yes. didn't want to go there. Yes. yes. Well, I actually would love to um, quickly ask you because um, when we were messaging each other, you mentioned to me that people have had various reactions to the trauma. It's almost been too much for a lot of people to be able to take in. Some people have been questioning the story. I just think the audacity. Can you quickly tell me, like, one of an example? Because people fascinate me how fucking horrible they are. I think once. When I was talking to the father of my children's parents and I was telling them about it and his mum said to me, I think you've just got a problem with me. It's funny how people behave as if someone's past or trauma is their burden yeah, and they yeah. don't really want you to like. Yeah, it is. It's, it's yeah. very odd. And also. Let's talk about it. Yeah, people say, oh, how did she die? And I just always say, look, it's a long story and it's not very nice. But if you want me to tell you, I will. So I, I always sort of gave people the option if they wanted to yeah, hear Yeah, right, because yeah. that's you being considerate of their yeah, feelings, yeah. Can you name- which is insane. Why should you be considerate of their feeling when they're asking the question, yeah. how did someone die? But then I always <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to found say- a way to get out of telling them. I don't know how. I'd change the conversation <laughs> or, you know, do something else. And it was like I hated yeah. telling people I grew up in foster care because then you would get judged on that yeah. as well. yeah. yeah. Or people ask questions and sometimes you just don't want to go there. It's like, yeah. Yeah, you can't be fucked with their reactions. Yeah, and you you would sort of look at their face and you'd go, okay, yeah. But most of my friends, like that I've told, you know, when I first told them, then the barrage came and, you know, oh, what? How? What? Oh, my God. You know, I feel so bad for you and that. And you don't want your friends to say that. Like you don't want them to say, pity. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry that that happened to you. Or, or yeah. how do you do it? I don't know how do you do it. it. Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, you just fucking do, do it. when you're in that. Yeah. You just, you really just want your friend to just crack a wine and go, aren't men cunts? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, we do that on the regular. Yeah. <laughs> let me, or let me tell you about a worse story, you know, like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. I have to say, Sharon, that. I'm sitting here looking at, because the podcast listeners can't see your face, I'm looking at like someone who's just so glowy and so beautiful and you've got such a, honestly, I just want to come over to the frigging peninsula and give you a 
hug. Oh, you can because, anytime. Yeah, there's something very warm about you. Yeah, Thanks. Thank you. When I'm next on tour, I'm coming to your house. Yes. There really is. There's something really extremely – and to be honest, I didn't was not knowing what to expect because obviously everything that you've gone through, like you could write a freaking book. Yeah. You definitely don't come across as someone that's damaged or traumatised. How many t- tens of years did you have to go to therapy to get to where you yeah, are? And, and have you done that? Have you done therapy or is it not for you? I had therapy for, well, just a counsellor at school for two years after mum died. But growing up, my, you know, young adult years, I never had any therapy. I had some tapping therapy with a lovely lady. You know what that is when they do the tapping? And I had some EFT. Mm. Yeah, tapping the mm. certain spots. And yeah. I had some um, yeah. EFT therapy through her. And she said, tell me about the worst incident with your mum other than the night she died. And I told her about the time when he pulled her off the chair and stood on her face. And she took me through that. And I just felt this tremendous lift and relief. And that's really the only time I've ever had therapy. Like I went to marriage counselling with my husband. That's when we saw the psychologist. But that wasn't about my trauma. That sounds fun. Interesting because yeah. I've done some of that childhood regression stuff with like spiritual healers. And I one often wondered, like I've done it a couple of times just throughout my life, and I have felt that almost euphoric but like a, a bit of a high, like a weight lifted. I've not even suffered from any trauma. I wonder what they're doing to us. They're doing something, these spiritual people. I'm and it's making – like speaking about having a good cry as well and going back I think the fact that I've had some really great friends that I have been able to be open with that I've been friends with for 40 odd years that have allowed me to speak my truth and never judged me and always stuck by me I think that has helped me so you're a hairdresser because I was thinking you should be doing public talks (laughs) I think you'd be an amazing public speaker I'm not a hairdresser anymore. I work in aged care. I, I, oh, yeah, I go into people's homes and look after them now. Oh, how wonderful. Aww. Yes. But I love the stories. I love the stories like Yukon. Oh, we wanted to do a podcast with some older people from an old age home because we were thinking, well, we still will. what We've a cute. Yeah, what a cute podcast with a bunch of like, you know, people in their 80s and stuff telling us what things would you like to tell people who are, you know, in the crux of raising kids and doing the mortgages and stuff, mm. would you, like, what advice would you give them? You know how they always have that beautiful piece of advice of just yeah. don't worry about the small things and, yeah, because yeah, that's all I do is worry about the small things. And you get you get them in a really nice, beautiful, vulnerable state as well, like where they're just no filter. Oh, definitely. Mm, most dementia. Of my, <laughs> no, most of my clients are in their 90s <laughs> and they still live at home and a, a lot of them live on their own. Wow. Oh, Sharon, you're an inspiration. Well, I think you're incredible. I just love that you have really, and not even, doesn't even sound like you've tried to, but you've completely just cut that cycle of abuse in half and Mm. you're just this powerhouse woman who, yeah, it was, was it just never an option? It was never on the cards that you were going to be in a dominating relationship? I would never, ever. And I remember when I was young looking at mum and I was really her caretaker thinking I don't ever want to be like you where I am so reliant on a man that I can't leave when he's doing this to me. But I would never have allowed myself to go out with somebody that had those qualities, especially when I had was having children or 
you know, wanted to bring children into the world. You had that insight early on, though. You're yes. very lucky. Whereas- yes. I always wanted to break that cycle of abuse. And it's interesting you say that you loved your dad. Do you believe that in your heart you loved him? Or is that just when you were young you felt that, my dad, I need my dad? When I was young, when I felt that. Yeah, when I was young, after mum died and before she died, when we left and before we went back, I knew then that I didn't love him. What I felt for him was not love. It's more that you're my parent, you're my blood. I can't change that and I can't hate you, but I don't love you. What about your mum? Just because I was just interested. Did Was she a great mum? Yes, she was an amazing cook. She laughed a lot. She was very happy. She'd always <laughs> say things like, oh, you know, Wow. Tomorrow's another day, case hurrah, hurrah, you know, all that sort of stuff. This is one that's stuck in my head and you'd love this kind. She'd always say, if we're all the same, life would be boring. <laughs> so true. But I do remember a lot of good times with her, yes. Mm. All of us laughing, dancing around in the kitchen, her cooking, always cooking. She was an amazing cook, like a country farm cook. And she really had a chance to get away and, um, and live that life. Let me tell you a bit of mum's backstory. Mum was adopted when she was four. She, her father was Danish and married my grandmother and this was in the war and then he'd had children before he met my grandmother and then he met her, had another four children and, and she had children as well. So mum had a lot of half-siblings. Of all those children, mum was the only one to sort of get away and her oldest half-sister. And mum knew that she was adopted, but she never knew where she came from. And after she died, I looked into her and I found cousins and relatives and stuff like that. And all her siblings had gone into an orphanage in Perth and all been really, really badly abused by the state. Wow. Wow. Isn't that... Fucked. So she got out of the abuse to go into abuse as she got older. And at such a young age. Mm. No. She had an older, I think, brother and sister when she was home. And someone said to me that her, her older sister remembers holding her hand and taking her to the um, adoption centre and her saying, I don't want to go. Take me home. I don't want to go. And she was four years old. Mm. This older sister stayed home with her grandmother, I think. But all the kids were then put into this foster, not foster, it was like an orphanage, but they went home on the weekends. And I've heard from my cousins that they were all severely, severely abused. And you know what? That just reminded me when I was thinking about your mum's life and with you is that a lot of the time when women break up with men, abusive men, they promise you that things are going to get better if you just come back. And I honestly think it will get worse and I think everyone needs as many people that can hear that. Yeah, because you're punished. You're punished for leaving and it's so much worse. And they know you'll leave again so the aggression and abuse just gets bit, yeah. Because every time she went back he would buy her a present and he never brought presents. Like, he never brought presents. The abuse was escalating. Like, there were times when I saw him attack her with a chainsaw, an axe. He had guns. Oh, my God. He used to um, shoot at her. She'd run outside and he'd shoot the gun at her. The night he attacked her with a chainsaw, that was horrific. That was one that sticks in my head too. But I also remember him abusing my brothers. I don't remember, like I said to you, so much abusing me. I know he did. But I remember, I think because it was happening to me, 
I don't really remember it, but I remember seeing him abuse my brothers. And like I said, he belted my brother with the dog chain. But the things he did to my older brother were absolutely horrific. And did you and your older brother stay close until he passed? passed? No, and this is another funny story did you stay close? about the no. universe. We did. We were always very close. We were always going to be close. He'd moved out of home and he was with a, he was dating an older lady who was in her 40s. He was very mature for his age and she was totally in love with him. He was only 18. And I was at school and I went down the street before school and saw him, took the day off to spend with him. We went down to the river and then I said to him, you better take me home. Um, it was after school time so I can tell go home and I'll tell my foster parents I had the day off school because um, I never lied to them. He dropped me home, picked up my other younger brother um, and took him down the river and that's when it happened. But I hadn't seen him for six months prior to that. That's when he passed away. And then he passed away that night. So I'd spent the whole day with him. Oh, no. So this is where I think that wow. something intervened. Oh, it's to, like your last, yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. The last time I got to say mm. I, I had a wonderful day. So I can't. Like, that was horrific, going mm. to see him in hospital and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I, I, I thank mm. something. I'm not a believer in God, but I thank something. You had a nice last time. That, yeah. that time with him. And are you close with your sister who was deaf? No, no, no. I'm not. No. Oh, uh, okay. Well, thank you. I we're timing out now, so oh, Sharon, that was amazing. I know, and uh, I really do hope that we get to meet because I'd love to meet you. And obviously, we'll stay in contact when you come on your next tour. I'll come and see you. Yeah. Well, uh, bye, gorgeous. Thanks, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of To Be Frank. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, be sure to click follow. And leaving a review helps others find the podcast. Join us next time as we explore more interesting topics and people from all over the world. 